This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hop Forward podcast. Now, I remember being at Barnsley College in 1998 uh, studying popular music and I was in a band called Strawberry Jack. Um, Just as a little aside, my little claim to fame was I also used to run a fanzine for the band Ocean Colour Scene and we went to uh, the London Astoria to interview Ocean Colour Scene and they were doing five nights at the Astoria and um, they had a different support band every night. And on the day we went, there was this band called Coldplay supporting them. And me and my friend Ryan stood there waiting to watch Ocean Colour Scene Soundcheck. And uh, Chris Martin, who we didn't know was Chris Martin at the time, was stood there. And so we walked up to him and said, oh, are you in Coldplay? He was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, what do you do, mate? He's like, oh, I'm the singer. And I said, oh, man, can, can my band support you? he said, oh, what's your band called? And he said, I said, oh, Strawberry Jack. And he went, oh, man, that's a cool name for a band. And he said, oh, I'm not high enough up to make those decisions. But if, if it was up to me, I'd let you. So um, Chris Martin, if you're listening to this, I think you're high enough up to make those decisions. Now, Stra- Strawberry Jack are willing to reform so we can go on tour with you. Call me. Call me. Um, anyway, how the hell did I get onto that? I don't know. I was talking about... Barnsley College and Music and Strawberry Jack. Yes, so I was in this band called Strawberry Jack and we did a gig at this pub in Barnsley called Dirty O'Dwyer's and I remember seeing um, on a hand pull this beer called Barnsley Bitter and I was like, whoa, they make beer in Barnsley? Like of all places in the world, in Barnsley they make beer and and at the time I, I was drinking underage, um, like Smooth Flow, Tetley or, you know, Caffrey's or whatever, John Smith's. And then I had this part of Barnsley bit. And I was like, whoa, this is like the most fantastical thing I've ever come across. So you can imagine when I went out into Sheffield, which is where I'm from, and saw this little pump clip with a moon on it and an arch of an old monastery, uh, Abbeydale Moonshine, that was like a complete and utter epiphany and revelation to me. I was like, what the hell is this? This is the, this Barnsley bit of shit. Like moonshine is like amazing, you know? And that was like one of my first experiences of Aberdale moonshine, which in Sheffield and beyond, uh, in, in the region is a real flagship beer. If you go into a pub in Sheffield, you're going to see that beer on more or less every handball in more or less every pub. Everything from Enterprise pubs, Admiral Inns to free houses, micro pubs. It is just a real staple beer of Sheffield. I've always been a big fan of what Abbeyale have done. Um, and then a few years ago, they launched this Emporium range where they had this uh, really fresh branding, really interesting craft beers. And I just watched them um, from my brewery in Sheffield, which is much smaller, just in awe of like how they managed to move from doing um, moonshine and daily bread and absolution and these kind of more old school, um, tasty real ales to also bringing in a 
quote unquote craft beer offering and then seeing the whole thing get rebranded and then just seeing them go from strength to strength and um someone like Jim Rainsley um taking the funk dungeon thing forward and and then just brewing some really amazing beers so I was like when I saw this podcast I was like I have to get someone uh, from Aberdale Brewery on the podcast to talk about that process and what they went through and how Everdale has grown. Um, so I didn't just get one person, I got two. So I got uh, Dan Baxter, who's one of the directors of Abbeydale and uh, Laura Rangeley, uh, who oversees all the marketing, um, just to talk about Abbeydale Brewery and um, what it's like running a brewery of that size and how they've managed to enter into all these different markets. So I'm going to leave this episode with you. Um, I hope you get a load out of it like I got a lot out of it. Um, we co- cover different topics, everything from sort of sales to production and having a core range beer like Moonshine under your belt. Um, I hope you can find this super helpful. I did listening to it and it'll be some really good food for thought. So as usual, hit me up with a review on iTunes or Spotify, wherever it is you leave reviews for podcasts. Um, that just helps create some momentum. Please follow us on social media at hot 4 beers and visit the website sign up to our mailing list hotforward.beer i'm going to start doing some more mail outs and content for you to engage with just to help you get ahead in your brewing and beer business and again if you want any uh, advice on running a brewery and business coaching or branding and design work uh, which is my main specialty uh, hit me up with an email at nick at hotforward.beer and let's see what we can do so i'm going to leave you with this interview with dan and laura from Aberdale brewery in sheffield I'm here at one of my favourite breweries in my hometown of Sheffield, joined by Dan Baxter and Laura Rangeley from Aberdale Brewery. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. How's it going? Good, good, yeah. Good. So so just for our listeners who don't know anything about Aberdale, about you guys, do do you want to just introduce yourselves and and talk a little bit about Aberdale Brewery and who you are and what you make? Okay, mine might be longer. Do you want to go first, Laura? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm Laura. Uh, I'm the Office and Communications Manager here at Aberdale. Um, it's a very varied role. Um, the easiest thing to do is probably say if it's not making it or selling it, then I probably do it. Um, but occasionally I like to dabble in those areas as well. Um, so it's a fantastic team to be a part of. I've been with the business for f- almost four years now. Um, it's changed an awful lot in the time that I've been here. I've seen some uh, enormous progress and um, it's been absolutely fantastic to be a part of that. So I'm Dan Baxter, uh, and I've been at Abbeydale Brewery for 11 to 12 years now. Um, I've um, been a company director for six years, um, and uh, Pat and Sue took me under their wing uh, in the early days um, to generate sales. They're the owners, aren't they? They're, they're the yeah. two owners. And I uh, picked up brewing just by watching and learning, basically, and... If ever there was a, a, a brewer off sick or on holiday or something, I'd stick my hand up and uh, Pat would uh, watch me and we'd make some beer. Then became a brewer, put through my GCB like we do with all our staff here. And uh, yeah, if I sold too much, I'd go downstairs and brew some more. If I brewed too much, then I'd go upstairs and sell some more. <laughs> it sounds like a good system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't let me do much brewing anymore. Apparently I'm too messy. <laughs> <laughs> So talk us through the history of Aberdale Brewery for those listeners who might be unaware of Aberdale's <coughs> relatively long, by today's standards anyway, history. 
So um, Pat and his father Hugh um, started Abbeydale Brewery in '96. Um, uh, they bought Unit Eight Hazelwood Road, and that's where the brewery, the the office, the brew house, the uh, fermenting area, conditioning area. That's where it all was for the first ten years, um, and the brewery's expanded. Uh, through the through the walls basically so mm. by buying different units around around Hazelwood. Um, so in the early days for Pat, um, making free trade sales was really quite difficult for him. Um, it was when wards were were still around. Right. It was when a lot of houses were still tied. So it was br- really breaking down those those barriers to 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 get your, your foot into that market. Mm. Very much like. We've experienced with keg beer side of things over the past five years or so. Yeah. Exactly the same concept. Places are tied, won't let you in. Uh, buy out your tyre, buy out a pump. Moonshine very quickly became the flagship for Abbeydale Brewery. It was the one where Pat got most repeat sales from. It picked up awards left, right and centre. And uh, and yeah, the... Uh, and the addition of, uh, of of Matins, which is a three point six percent American hopped pale, Absolution, which uh, I suppose back in the day Absolution was an IPA, mm. um, not so much anymore. Uh, it's what we call like a premium, yeah, premium pale now. Uh, Brimstone, uh, that one of my favourite beers. We don't actually make anymore. Um, a three three point nine percent American brown, basically with Amarillo hops. It's absolutely gorgeous, but I couldn't sell it um, at three point nine. Um, it didn't have the stabi- stability really to get the uh, the kind of quantities of sales that we were we were after for the, for the best before day. So that that got that got chopped for uh, Deception. Mm. So back in two thousand and ten, uh, Deception picked up uh, Champion Beer of Sheffield from. Uh, Local uh, Sheffield camera, which was you know fantastic. Uh, people were banging on onto us about keep, keeping Deception on as a regular beer, um, but uh, you, then you've got to really do your hop forecasting and make sure you can get the hops, not just any hops of Deception, but we're talking about Nelson Sovin here. Which right, right. <laughs> there's nothing uh, comparable on the market. Yeah, um, I think uh, Charles Farm recently told us that uh, that we are the second biggest contract they have for Nelson Sovin. Really? Because I've heard Brewdog. Brewdog's like number one. <laughs> like thirty-three percent of the world's supply. Brewdog's number one. Apparently, uh, we're number two. Wow! Look at that. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> number two. Mm. And um, so, yeah. Fortunately, um, we managed to uh, forecast and make sure we could uh, keep production going to maintain a, uh, a core beer. Mm. And then Deception came on board. We also had another uh, acquisition to our core range which was Daily Bread. And we got that when we bought the Rising Sun in 2005. Yeah. Uh, when we got the Rising Sun, um, uh, we wanted to put as much of our own beer on as, as possible. But all the all the regulars that were in there they would only drink John Smith's. It's all, all that they knew, all they loved, all they wanted. Um, Pat thought he could make a, uh, a brown trad English best bitter. Uh, so that's what he did. He uh, he didn't tell anyone else he was making it. He came in one Sunday morning and he mashed it in and uh, fermented it out, cast it up, went up to the Rising Sun, converted all the regulars onto it, and that's all they drink now. Wow. So the Rising Sun will go through 
three to four 18s of daily bread a week. Um, still today our biggest customer for daily bread. And all our beers, yeah. actually. <laughs> our biggest customer, yeah. So, um, as I started uh, settling down into, into sales manager, sales director, um, we uh, well let me let me just go back a step. I've I've always thought that um, there are there are two types of drinkers that use a pub. Mm. Um, there's one, uh, and that individual will go to a pub because he knows what's going to be on at that pub, um, and it's normally a fixed line of something like let's say moonshine, and they go there because they know they're going to find it there, and that's what they want to drink. Then there's the other person that still has its own their own favourite pub that likes to go for the guest beers and week in week out wants to try themselves these are not the chicken coma type of people these are the people that want to experiment and try different things um, nothing wrong with chicken coma all the curries are available <laughs> um, so we um, uh, Sue and I got into the habit of um, doing weekly specials um, our specials uh, sell out. We never throw any beer away. We got we got a reputation for for being a brewery that would offer a new special. We didn't have a seasonal list. We didn't have a uh, a spring, summer, autumn beer. Mm. We had a, a weekly new beer and uh, everything from uh, stuff like Belfry to Alchemy and our famous Dr. Morton's range, which still Marmite kind of beer to the day. We know that. Mm. We know that a lot of people don't like the Dr. Morton's beers. But I get customers around West Yorkshire that ring me up and say, what's it called? And I say, it's called, I don't know, Dr. Morton's Duck Baffler. Right, send me five. <laughs> what, you don't want to know what it says? <laughs> no, just send me them. And that, that persisted to, to be successful for three to four years. And it's, it started to get quite... Samey, this is before the hazy beer was becoming acceptable. Yeah, we've, we, we believe we've now battered that barrier down a little bit now. Um, so they were all 3.8 to 4.7% pale, fined, not dry hopped, but different beers nonetheless. Um, bit in the sweetness scale, hops, um, all kinds of stuff. Um, then it kind of uh, started, we, we got mumblings that it started to go a little bit against us and Abbeydale Brewery had a reputation for just kicking out the same beer all the time. Our, our, our defence to that was, yeah, but it sells. And it did sell. Then, let's do about three years ago, uh, we decided to do a, 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 a fresh new brand um, for our core beers. So Moonshine, uh, Deception, Absolution, Black Mass, Daily Bread, they all got a facelift. A local company called Field Design did a great job. Mm. Um, and that, those are the beers that you, you find today. That's still to us, that's a very recent thing, isn't it? Yeah. We think it's a really recent thing. The, the previous pump clip designs lasted us 20 years. Well, this is like the, the rainbow, wasn't it? On the, was that Absolution that had the rainbow? Yeah. It? Yeah, yeah. Gosh. Mm. I mean, I remember those um, 
pump clips from like years and years ago when I first started drinking beer, you know, when I was in like college, <coughs> having a cheeky underage pint and then dis- discovering Absolution and Moonshine and it just being like this epiphany of like, what the hell is this? This is amazing, you know, in comparison to like Tetley, which is all Caffrey's, which is what I was drinking. Mm. Um, I mean, just before we talk about the Emporium range, like what, why do you think a beer like Moonshine is such a staple beer um, in Sheffield and the surrounding regions? We've, um, I mean, it's quite topical, this. We, we, we've long thought that it's a good, um, it, it's converted many a lager drinker. It's relatively uh, an inoffensive beer. Um, it has broad appeal because of that. Without blowing our own trumpet, we believe we've, we've got the consistency right. Um, we've got the customer service right. We retain customers. We, we, don't, we don't lose customers. Mm. I think especially locally as well, it's the sort of beer, isn't it, that people really associate with Sheffield. You know, we get comments all the time from people who are drinking it saying, oh, it just tastes like Sheffield, yeah. um, which is which is great for us to hear. Um, and it is something that's kind of dependable and solid and, you know, something that you can go and mm. drink a good few pints of and still feel happy about yourself the day after. Um, yeah. Yeah, and there's some some of our local champion pubs that I like to call them. They've been uh, the, the stocky moonshine. That's all they'll stock uh, forevermore. I mean, it is like an institution of Sheffield, isn't it? I mean, there are two two beers I think that you'll see everywhere. One's Farmer's Blonde, but from Bradfield, and then the other is Moonshine. Yeah. And I mean, personally speaking, and out of those two, which I'd sooner go for. Um, I mean, what what pressures do you face as a brewery having a beer like Moonshine under under your belt? Um, to when you come to producing it, or what sort of um, pressures does it put on your production capacity, um, you know, sales and all the rest of it? Because you know, as it says in uh, Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, with with I mean, with any core beer, you have to be able to replicate it week in week out. So this is where you're getting to know your hop merchants mm. and making sure you're getting decent quality hops. Um, I know any brewer can say that, but you you do have to you do have to do it. Um, as we know, as brewers know, hops change from vintage to vintage, from season to season. Um, and if you do get a crap crop, you're contracted to buy it, and that's when your flavour profiling really comes into play. That's why uh, Laura has been doing a lot, a hell of a lot at the moment with our sensory training. Right. which we might go on to a little bit later. And yeah, you, 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 you have to really cut down the... Feedback is good, don't get me wrong, but we need to be able to spot it before it's left and yeah. packaged and gone out the door. We, the, getting feedback from customers is important, but we need to try and eliminate how much um, uh, critical feedback we get because your beer tasted different last month. Basically. Yeah. I think the team as well all really, really understands just how important Moonshine is to Abbeydale as a brewery. Like it's, we're all very, very fond of it. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily the one that everyone would choose to drink in a pub when faced with 15 different beers to pick from. Uh, all of the brewers have their own kind of favourite styles that they like to mm. brew and all that kind of thing, which isn't always um, Moonshine, but they all know just how important it is to get it bang on every time. 
Um, and it really is something that as a team we, we really do care about and care about making it the absolute best it can be every single time. Yeah, so how much of your output is moonshine? About 55%. Right, wow. So it, re it really brings home the bacon. Yeah, about um, 240 barrel sales mm. per week. Goodness. Um, 300 barrel production a week. Yeah. yeah. So what would happen if like the hops you use for whatever reason, you know, there's some store, I don't know whether from the States or whatever, but, you know, there's a storm and it's kind of like takes out the fields in Yakima or wherever, you know, what what, what would you do in that instance with a, a beer like that? If you've got a beer under your belt in your repertoire that your customers, particularly a beer like Moonshine, they want it the same again and again, and all of a sudden, well, what do you do in that circumstance? I think we've got the recipe to a point where we're not overly reliant on any one particular factor. Um, obviously we would need to tweak it if something like that happened mm. but um, when we first started making it it was 100% Willamette hopped beer uh, which as the hops have changed it, it no longer is. I think there's now seven different hops that are used in Moonshine so we're quite familiar with being able to slightly adapt the combination slightly mm. but to achieve um, you know, a, as similar as possible end result. Yeah. So. There's no point backing yourself into a corner. We, 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 we make... Um, there's no secret that Heathen was rebadged from Mosaic. Yes, yeah. You know, what, exactly that reason. You know, yeah. what if we couldn't get Mosaic anymore? Your beer's called Mosaic. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's made with Eki, not. Hostage to fortune there. But yeah, what Laura's saying about um, about the brewers and their creativity is absolutely right. They, they know that they have to get out of bed and, and mash in... Um, 60 barrels of moonshine uh, they know that that pays the bills and they know that um, that uh, the next time they're mashing they're going to be making uh, a, an experimental type Brewers Emporium style beer What would you say to breweries that are looking at people like, like Cloudwater for example that aren't brewing just different beers every time and then they're in this quandary of like oh well I need to, that's cool that they're rated the second best brewery in the world. I need to go do that myself, you know. Whereas, you know, you've stuck to your guns massively with Moonshine and with Heathen, you know, to be producing these um, two flagship beers from different ranges, albeit, um, but again and again. Um, what, what would you say to those brewers that are feeling like, oh, should I, should I do a core range? Should I not do a core range? Because I've come across a lot of smaller brewers that have got that dilemma because, you know, they, they've not got the clout that Abbeydale have got and they just need the sales and often it can be quite difficult for smaller breweries to get their beers into free houses because, you know, they're on rotation and all the rest of it unless it's a different beer because a lot of publicans and bar owners will be like, well, oh, I had that one last time. Call me when you got something different. I mean, as as far as advice, I don't feel I'm in the position of offering advice. I think you do you. You do whatever, whatever works best for you. I mean, mm. we've um, the amount of people that ask us for bottle moonshine. There's a demand for it. We've not done it yet. Mm. There's good reason why we haven't done it yet. We have ventured into other areas of small pack. Um, so keeping your fingers in as many different um, pies. Pies. <laughs> <laughs> Um, routes to market was, yeah, was what I was looking for. Is uh, is the best thing to do. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Mm. I think for me as well, it's clear. I mean, I wasn't, 
I wasn't around and working in a brewery at the age of seven when Abidal Brewery first started up. Uh, so it's difficult for me to say this with any kind of you know clout behind me, but I think it's quite clear that the market now in terms of beer is uh, very, very different to what it was when we started, when um, a dependable core beer was what the light, as you were saying earlier about Pat looking at moving from tied houses and that kind of thing, you know, the beer market's clearly very different now with there being a lot more kind of the micropubs and bottle shops and independent bars that are looking for that something that's a little bit different every time. So I think from a brewery's perspective, it's kind of tricky for us to put ourselves in that position, isn't it really? Because as, as long as I've known the brewery, we've always had that core range there and that's always been really at the heart of what we've done and that's allowed us to push into other areas. Um, I think the only thing that I kind of have to add is um, that for our brew team, as, as we've kind of already touched on, it's really, really critical that they're uh, well-trained and educated and experienced enough that as well as brewing something off the cuff and getting it right first time with something really experimental, we need them to be able to brew something that they can replicate again and again. Mm. So I think from the kind of production side of things for breweries that are just doing things you know completely differently each time that's fantastic but I would say don't lose that kind of that it's still a great ambition to have to be able to achieve consistency um, and I think for me some of the kind of smaller newer breweries are churning out things that are quite hit and miss um, and I think just because they're different beers isn't necessarily an excuse to be selling something that's Know, at the end of the day not the best quality mm. um, if yeah. that makes sense yeah for sure you know funnily enough I remember someone saying to me once anyone can brew a beer but to brew a beer again and again to the same spec you know for it to come out the same every time that's a real skill and um, I know when I ran the Sheffield Brewery Company for my part in that that was a massive skill I had to learn to replicate those beers again and again and again um, so several years ago you received an investment to take the brewery to the next level, um, which is around the time um, these very nice looking cans of heathen and what have you got there, Dan? Unbelievable. Guava goes, yeah. Um, th these sort of came into being. Um, why don't you talk us through that? Because it's like, it, as you said, I remember when um, Mosaic was about and, and I went looking for it, and every pub I went into had a glass on the keg handle, and like oh, I was sold out. And I was like, oh, it's really annoying because everyone's been talking about this beer. And then to see this kind of coming to fruition, you know, the brand is really spot on, I think, and the, and the beers are really spot on. And I think there are very few breweries that have had, you know, foot in the traditional camp who have then really successfully gone to carve out a, 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 a new brand identity like Aberdale have with the Emporium beers. Um, as successfully as you guys have so like why don't you talk us through that process and how you found changing the perception of well Abbeydale make moonshine absolution and, and daily bread so Abbeydale are now doing funk dungeon beers and <laughs> all the rest of it it was very much the Goldilocks sweet spot for us everything just kind of happened my opinion really quite organically with with Laura and Jim coming on board the feedback they gave us brutally was that you're very traditionally br viewed by the public um, we don't like to use that word anymore we don't like to use the word uh, modern craft beers and traditional beers in the brewery we, they're just beers yeah we uh, so 
it all happened at the same time. So we we rebranded re our core beers. Uh, James Murphy um, happened, found him. We met him in London. Um, came up with these great designs for um, some of the uh, some of the keg uh, poppy beers that we were doing. Um, and to go with that, we 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 start we we. We attracted um, several brewers that really wanted to, to get stuck in and and start making their own recipes and really take pride in ownership of their own recipes. So instead of me saying, um, right, I need this uh, 38 to 4.7% pale find beer week in, week out, they were like, Dan, that's really boring. I was like, right, yeah, but it sells. That's my go-to response. Yeah, but it sells. Yeah, but it's still really boring. Right, okay. So, let's flip this around then. You tell me what you want to brew and I'll try and sell it. How about that? Right, deal. First Brewers Emporium beer was, I believe, Voyager IPA. And that's what we what we kind of refer to as our Hop House IPA. Mm. It's, it rotates it. We're up to number 15 now. It's a single hop galaxy, I think. Or is it Galaxy Vic Secret and something else? It's called Voyager. We change the change the selection of uh, sexy hops each each time we brew it, and um, and it flew out, and and customers were like, "Have you got any more of that?" And I was like, ah, "Right, okay, no," but we've got this um, Reaper, which is a wheat beer, rotating wheat beer style from orange. Orange and ginger to rhubarb and rosemary to, you know, anything that the brewer wanted to create. Um, and we had uh, Wanderer, which was a, a tea-infused beers. Uh, we did the Salvations were the best ones for us, weren't they? They had like uh, coconut, uh, coconut stout. We had rice pudding stout. We had Jamaican ginger cake stout. Oh, I missed that one. <laughs> and you just and you just need to say those. We don't we don't really do much selling. We just say to people what we've got, and people, people are like yes, that sounds great. <laughs> I think as well, it kind of, the, a lot of the Brewers Emporium beers were born out of um, just before we started doing those. We had a signature series where literally anybody in the brewery could say, "I want to make this beer," and Dan had no choice and had to say yes, um, and. Uh, so that came up with some of the kind of weird and wonderful yeah. recipes, didn't it? That then when we looked at it and we're thinking, you know, how do we, how do we get this new range together? How do we want to sort of, you know, construct it? Um, that the the reception <coughs> that we'd had from the signature beers that were a little bit more out of the box that arguably we'd sat in for, um, you know, we, we were making fantastic beers um, with even the ones that, the the kind of cast pale ales, a lot of them were using really experimental hops, um, were really quite hop forward, but mm. because they looked the same as um, all of our other beers did, people didn't really recognise what was special about them. So it was while we were thinking about, well, how can we make sure people know um, that they are special, that um, we took those like fledgling ideas that we'd had from the signature range and um, made the Brewers Emporium kind of came out of that really. Um, and it's still very much the case that you know, it's, it's called the Brewer's Emporium, 
um, and it is obviously largely the brewers that come up with the recipes but we're a really open team here so you know any of us can say we want the next unbelie unbeliever to be I don't know raspberry and well, Laura, Laura actually did. I did. Oh yeah, Laura actually <laughs> did our best selling. <laughs> she did our best selling uh, signature beer, so we, Lady one? Rara. Oh, yeah. was that the wheat raspberry ice cream something or other? Raspberry was... and vanilla muffin beer. That was it. I had that yeah. in the rising sun for a little while. That was a really good beer. <laughs> this is going to sound really soppy, but it's it is true, and it has helped us. I think um, investing in our staff has helped us massively mm. um, it sounds soppy because you know uh, uh, biz business experts will say you invest in your staff and blah blah blah, blah. And like I said like I touched on earlier I was put through my GCB my general certificate in brewing we put everyone through their GCB even, even my sales team um, we invest in staff we encourage we, we educate and we, we like, like to see them blossom um, because of that when people have left us they've gone to other breweries mm. some of those other breweries are new and trendy um, so just to I'm just going to drop some names <laughs> go, go for it <laughs> Siren Magic Rock um, there was uh, uh, who else was there Cloudwater Northern Monk. Cloudwater, Northern Monk, yeah. Um, these guys are still our mates, and we still catch up for a beer with them. And all of a sudden, we've got mates in other breweries. Don't you remember our four-way collab, Four Degrees of Separation? Yeah, with vaguely, yeah, yeah. Magic Rock, Siren, Northern Monk, Abbeydale. Um, everyone must have been thinking, what the hell is Abbeydale doing on that can? Those are three, you know top brewers mm. we're like yeah <laughs> they came from here <laughs> Did it, <though. laughs> and, and we absolutely smashed it so that was actually the first can we released other than heathen was it was the first special we did in yeah. can was four degrees of separation yeah getting those guys to sign off on canning <laughs> that beer was quite a struggle <laughs> but it was a, a massively hopped ipa and, and it went down really well with everybody um so yeah that helped with our uh our crafty credentials. Yeah. So what other sort of things do you do to invest in your staff? Growler Fridays. Growler Fridays. <laughs> Man, I want to work here. <laughs> <laughs> we're all just really encouraged to um, push forward in the areas that we're interested in. Um, like Dan said, I did my GCB as well a couple of years ago. Um, the sensory training that we're doing at the moment is something that... Um, the majority of us from the brewery have been um, able to participate in mm. um, and grow that. Uh, there's things like like the Funk Dungeon project is something that uh, Jim Rangely, one of our brewers, said, I'm really interested in, that was a signature beer actually, wasn't it? Dan, I'm gonna make a kettle sour. Yeah. And he just went, okay. <laughs> and uh, it turned out to work really well. And um, Mango Rango. Yeah. And, uh, Remember it well. Was something that Jim was really interested in and has been, you know, encouraged to take to the next level. And now we've accidentally got a barrel project. Mm. <laughs> well, I want, I want to talk about the Funk Dungeon. So, um, mm. I mean, you were showing me around a little bit earlier. Um, lots of nice barrels and stuff out there now um, from the last time I visited. So, um, I mean, how, how do you maintain and fund a project like that, particularly coming back to the, the 
the moonshine stuff when, when you've got the pressures of we've got to turn this out and this out and this out we've got to meet these demands then to kind of because those beers take time and investment don't they um, how, how yeah. do you manage to maintain that I think like a lot of things here um, it's grown very organically um, it's actually been going for about two years now um, but we've really only started pushing it and showcasing it since last summer when we were happy with having a range of beers to release from it um, and we also had Funk Fest at the brewery, mm. which we believe to be the first uh, dedicated sour festival in the north of England ever. Um, and it was a huge success, but it wasn't something that we just did. It was something that happened really gradually over time and that, um, like I said, we wanted to make sure that we were happy with the output we were getting from that before trying to cause any kind of demand. And I think it's worth saying that at the moment now it's it's still... A tiny project i think we've got about 40 barrels now mm. um so it's still comparatively <coughs> speaking to the other stuff we're doing um a teeny tiny proportion but it's kind of another another string to our bow really yeah. um a large part of my job uh, here is kind of balancing the different kind of looks i don't really like the word brand so much but for ease you know balancing the core beers against the brewer's emporium and how the funk dungeon feeds into that um, and showing that all of them have their own merits and that they all sit well together you know mm. having one doesn't in any way devalue any of the others um, and that's something that that kind of does really form a key part of of my role here i think mm. yeah. yeah so when you've got these different brands for want of a better word like how, how do you how do you balance all that together because you're saying you've got an open team and people can throw in ideas and all the rest of it like how, how do you keep everything cohesive because there, there are some breweries like lots of businesses that are, are very brand tight you know it's like it has to look like this it has to be the language has to be like this and and it all needs to be very much to a, a brand guideline um but like I said, when you've got that kind of creativity in your team which you evidently have how, how do you manage to to balance all that keep it on message but not kind of restrict people's creativity don't take yourself too seriously that is the that's all i'll say <laughs> yeah it is um, important those those buzzwords like brand consistency and they are they are important mm. we know they exist um <laughs> but yeah if you don't want to stifle creativity really yeah, yeah. and i like to think that one of the ways <coughs> we do keep consistency is you know all of these beers um, have a have an Abbeydale personality and that's all of us as a team um, and no matter what the beer is at the heart of it it's always got you know us as, as a brewery behind it so we don't really need to put things into one brand and say this beer is only for this kind of person because we like you know I think in the way that we express ourselves people know that they can give it a try you know they know that there's going to be something for them and if it's not what they pick up one day uh, hopefully that doesn't mean they won't try something else another day hmm. uh, you know they know that we um, have a very varied product range um, but that we don't release anything unless we think it's great yeah yeah it won't get it won't get signed off it won't it won't even mm -hmm. get casked up if it's it's not fit for serving yeah a chef wouldn't plate something up and send it out if he wasn't happy with it um, we also went hell for leather last year on uh, Meet the Brewers and TTOs. We threw a lot of budget at that, didn't we? Yeah. So all over the place. Um, and uh, that, that helped to uh, not only uh, get the beers out there, but get our personality out there as well, as Laura yeah. said. 
So when you chose your designer, uh, well, I guess for both um, ranges, really, the, the traditional stuff and the Emporium range, how, how did you how did you know where to pitch it and, and what was the brief you gave the designers and did, did you have to go through um, amendments to it and did, did you put it out to different people to, you know, mm. hit us? What, what does Moonshine look, look like? What does well, he look like? And we, we did, uh, we did but the core range went f poor field design. That was a 40-page brief on what we wanted. <laughs> that was a hard job. Um, Murphy came up with some great designs. We, we gave him a, a, a very thin outline concept and he did some sketches and that looked like a stout that looked like a sour uh, that looked like we could make something out of a IPA yep um, and yeah it was it was great so he had the easy job unlike the local yeah. firm <laughs> yeah. easy yeah but they're all hand drawn it's all uh, any any amendments like his response was through gritted teeth <laughs> fine I'll just redraw it <laughs> well, we got Field to come here, didn't we? They spent an entire day with literally everybody looking at everything and, un you know, really understanding <coughs> what was important to us. Because mm. although we knew we needed the beers to um, have a, a refreshed look as opposed to a new look, um, as we kind of moved on, and like Dan said, we'd had those old ones for 20 years, we knew it was time for a change, but we didn't want to lose any of the identity that any of those beers already had. So, yeah, yeah Field spent the whole day with 20 of us they all. Decorated, all they decorated the mess room yeah. with uh, post-it notes. I think one of our brewers said, just don't make it shit. And just wrote, <laughs> so they wrote it on the, stuck it up on there, don't make it shit. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I was out in a, um, a pub in the Peaks uh, the other week and um, I had a pint of moonshine there, and it was the it was the old badge, <laughs> hmm. and I was like, you know, you still see him about somewhere. Yeah, yeah, you get people that don't want to change it. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not putting that new thing on there. <laughs> um, so you guys have been expanding a fair old bit um, recently. What 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 plans have you got for? Ex well, why don't you talk through the firstly the expansion you have got, and then how you're looking to expand further in the coming months and years ahead. Expansion's happened. We've got four new DPVs. Uh, we've filled them and we're short spaced again. <laughs> we're not really. We, there's there's a limit to to what to, to how much beer we can physically send out onto Aislewood Road. Um, the uh, the extra space has allowed us to improve our malt handling and milling capabilities through thanks to Crisp as well. They've, mm. they've helped us with that. Um, yeah, it's uh, um, we've we've invested in our own canning line, so we're, we're hoping to get find a place for that next, and then uh, and then away with that as well. Um, and then it's just making sure we uh, we do what we do as well as we always have done. Mm. Um, we've expanded, expanded. Sorry, uh, we've bust through the hundred mile radius of the brewery. We now deliver down to uh, St Albans, wow. down, down to the M1 corridor. Yeah. Um, uh, we go up to Newcastle now. We would deliver to uh, to Liverpool. Um, yeah. So uh, and with a new sales team in place, with we don't deliver on our distant runs three week every three weeks. We go every two weeks now, and uh, and yeah, we're uh, we're 
week in week out beating targets, which is which is great. That's amazing. Maybe the bit set a bit too easily, <laughs> easily achievable. Yeah. Just sort that out. Yeah. But we've recently we've got a new cold store to save all the extra beer that we've been making. Um, we've got we're sat in <coughs> recording now in what we're currently using as a small tasting room, which we're hoping to, in the short term, open up relatively regularly for small events. But that who knows. In future, um, in future we we might have um, a, a proper tap room space, but that's all still very much kind of, you know, up in the air at the moment. But definitely on the event side of things, we're hoping to do more with the space we've got here. Um, Dan mentioned the new vessels a minute ago, but didn't say what they're full of. Uh, and that's our brand new lager, mm. uh, which mm. it's heresy, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's currently called Heretic, which is what we're calling it while it's the trial batches. Right. Uh, but it's very nearly there, which I think has taken us all by surprise a bit. Yeah, it's being, weird. being quite new to making lager, it's not something we've really done before. But we've really, really taken a lot of time uh, in formulating the recipe. Got advice from all over the place, and uh, it took seven yeah. attempts to nail Heathen. Yeah. We did parallel right. one to seven. And uh, we've done Heretic 1. Mm, pretty much nailed that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do, do you see, um, I hate the word craft lager, but you know what I mean, taking off, um, because there's always been talk over the, over the last four or five years of, ooh, craft lager's going to be the next thing, and it kind of like, it's always going to be the next thing, but it never seems to arrive, but... Do you think that's something we're going to see a lot more from breweries turn their hands to trying to brew these really well-made, Traditional lagers. Yes. <laughs> I like, think. Yeah, I mean, like I, like I said uh, earlier, it's um, having as many uh, as many routes to market as possible. If you've got a database full of fifty customers and you sign on one line of a cask ale, mm. um, well, you've got your moonshine pump. But how many other pumps do you have? Well, I've got these other ones. You fancy a guest beer? Yeah, all right, I'll have a guest beer. Right, what do you do with your kegs? Are you free of time kegs? Yeah, I've got one one free line on keg. Right, okay, well, we've got this keg beer. And what do you stock for lager? Uh, okay, so I've got Carlin on at the moment, or Stella. Um, and then that's probably tied. Well, if you need a better example of a of a lager for something like Australia or something like that. Yeah, well, I was going to say, because like, you, if you're making all this lager, you, you know, you, you're competing, you're then going up against your Carlings, your yeah. Stellas. That's, that's what bring we it on. That's what we really want this lager to be as well. It's it's not intended to be um, you know, a, ch a challenging, unusual lager mm. in any way, although we probably will make one of them at some point. Um, but we want this lager to be very much an independent option uh, for independent businesses who like to support that kind of thing yep. to be able to buy without putting off those people that come into the bar and drink six pints of Carlin or whatever it might be. We wanted it to be something that's really accessible. Um, it's tasting really good, isn't it? It's really, really clean, really crisp. I, w I got one at the Dev Cat the other day, and uh, I was kind of like, oh, I've drank it. <laughs> Where did that go? Um, but yeah, that's kind of what what we wanted to achieve. And uh, I mean, a few years back, we we decided to uh, to start again at the top and decide what our what our company morals were and, and what gets us out of bed in the mm. morning. Why do we come to work? Well. Three things are looking after your staff, the heart of your community, and doing business the right way. So, who doesn't want a lager that's made in their community? You know, 
even if it's a little bit crap, you know, it's only brewed next door, so that's now mine. I want to, I want to be a part of this. I want to feel this, and and that's what we, that's what we want to do. That's, mm. you know, the Rising Sun is a community pub, um, and uh, yeah, it's a good, um, it's a good gauge, gauge for the market. See what's out there, what people want. Yeah. Um, we, we we tried to give the masses mini kegs, didn't we? Yeah. Um, but that's it's difficult to do on a large scale for a brewery like ours. Um, and again, people want moonshine in bottles. We're probably going to have to tackle that at some point. Mm. Good luck with that one. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a tough one. As soon as we bottle it, it's not going to be moonshine anymore. Yeah. It's not going to be low carbonated nitrogen nitrogen. Sparkler enriched. Mm. Well, they're taking a different character, don't they? As soon as you put it in a bottle. Yeah. And then if you've got the whole thing of, well, if you filter it, then you're going to be stripping some flavour. It's yeah. very delicate as it is, you know. Someone will so put that bottle in a fridge and, yeah. then, and then it's hazy. Why is it hazy? Yeah. yeah. Or they leave <laughs> it on the top of the fridge and it's warm. So, <laughs> you know, do we, do we then filter it and strip something back so that people can put it in the fridge? And then you're drinking it at a lower temperature and then the, you don't get the the hop flavour through do you start tweaking with the recipe and then all of a sudden you've buggered up moonshine yeah and everyone hates <laughs> everyone hates you <laughs> they killed it so so we're not going to do that not going to do that anytime soon we really need to we really need to um, do that properly mm. so last couple of questions then where do you guys see the brewing industry heading over the next five years and what would you say to any aspiring brewers looking to get into the industry or even start growing brewery in this day and age, well, now there's a couple of couple of um, a couple of issues at the moment. First one's obviously Brexit. I think if um, if Brexit happens, then a lot of breweries that uh, have gone straight for the export market will flood our market with cans. Mm. We have to be ready for that. Um, the, well, I, th- I think we're going to see the beer market uh, kind of. Looking, looking back in on itself over the next few years, and um, I think we're going to see a revisiting towards those kind of safe, dependable <coughs> beers that are being shunned by a lot of beer drinkers at the moment. Um, me and Dan want we want this year to be the year of moonshine, and we want next year to be the year of daily bread. Yeah, Do you know, it's funny <laughs> you should say that because I've been, I've, I've been saying for the past year, I feel like there's going to, for some drinkers, there's going to be like a beer fatigue in that yeah. there's so much on the market, and it's kind of like, oh, and like you said earlier, Laura, about people might share that different beers every time. But half of half of your saves from beer central, whatever, the, the, there might be subpar, you know. And I found that I will go back to this is why I order moonshine in a, in a pub. I, I know that beer, I've known that beer for a long time. I know it's a safe bet, and and it's the same as more pack with um, cans and bottles. That there are those beers that you just think, yeah, that's just straight down the line. Tell me about Cask Fest at the weekend. Yeah. I saw some tweets about that from Matthew Curtis. <laughs> we, we, we thought about what we were going to send. We thought quite long and hard what we were going to send. Yeah, so just to quickly give a little bit of an overview, Cask Fest is a, as the name suggests, cask-only beer festival held in Bermondsey by Affinity Brew Co. There are 44 breweries involved. They're all told to send two cask beers, anything you like. It ranges from breweries like us uh, and... Um, like fine ales were there, uh, you know, other breweries that are Hawks Head, like really, really dependable cask breweries, 
you know, what you can send them. And then other breweries that usually you only ever see in Keg, even down in London, that were asked to do something a little bit different. Mm. Um, so we sent um, a chai stout that we've uh, been reserving for them for a couple of months because it conditioned up really, really deliciously um, as something a little bit on the more edgy, unusual side, but that we know works fantastically in cask. It's a nice collab um, with Blackjack. Yeah. Right. And. Nice. Uh, and then we sent Moonshine because we were like, Moonshine never gets to go to London. Um, let's let it have a little bit of a party and a day out. And um, it went down really well. Uh, me and uh, two of our brewers, Jim and James, went down for the day. It's absolutely brilliant festival. Uh, but there did come a point in the day where I'd had like my third kettle sour or goes or something that it, I can completely see why a brewery would be like, yeah, I want people to try this in cask. And it was great. But then you're kind of like, I just want a pint of something that I don't have to think about too much, though, and that I can just drink. Um, so that was where Moonshine uh, came into its own. really <laughs> did come into its own. And, uh, and what was your other winner for the day? Uh, the Dark Mild from Boxcar, well, which was go. absolutely fantastic. They make good beers. I like Boxcar yeah. beers. No, they, they were make great. Good beers. I think as well, while we've been doing all the research for the lager as well, I've found myself hunting out more uh, sort of independently produced lagers uh, and some I've drank quite a lot of continental lagers as well and just having them at home and you know when you when you spend your life surrounded by beer mm. it is nice sometimes to just grab something out of the fridge that you don't have to think about and that you just know you can just drink and it's going to refresh you and you're quite you're spoiled enjoy really it. for choice aren't yeah we? we really are well I always think of it as there are beers you experience and beers you drink and I think um, generally I count myself in this crowd as well, but the kind of the beers you experience, the the crowd that drink those are very, very, very vocal. The beers that you drink crowd just get on and drink the beer, yeah. and it's you know I I think I personally as well will welcome a return to or an acceptance of from the beers you experience crowd just the beers you drink because like you say yeah you know I do I do think you do just want a, a good yeah. flavoursome. Yeah. And pubs are so important as well. I think that's, for me, you know, you can go to a pub and it can be the most beautiful pub in the world, but there's always that one friend that if they've only got two handful, you know, beers that you see all the time on, will want to turn around and go out. And it's like there's still such a joy to be had in spending the afternoon in a lovely pub that the beer is obviously very important, but it shouldn't be the absolute be-all and end-all. Yeah. Um, it's nice to have some beers that do get people really excited, um, but it's it's all about the as we as we keep harping on about it's all about the community that it's a part of, mm. um, and I like to think that with the kind of range of stuff that we have available that we're kind of making something for everybody really, and we're always more than happy to talk to people about it and uh, mm. keep spreading the word. Really. So the other threat that's probably worth mentioning was a hot topic at Sabre as well with the term millennials which I hate I hate that word because I am one millennials drinking drinking less beer mm. um, and like you've just said there's beers that you experience and there's beers that you drink and the, there's the stats that, that Sabre uh, presented last week that uh, millennials aren't doing the drinking one that you've just said they're doing some of them are doing the experience ones but they're not really going out and drinking so that's something that uh, we're going to have to going to have to address at some point yeah 
because I guess that you know that when you, if you go to a pub during the day and you see it's a largely an older demographic, you know, drinking your very traditional cast beers and stuff. But like I said, that as as morbid as it sounds, as they as they get older and die, and then as our generation gets older, then what's going to happen to the pub trade? It's like a it's kind of like a um, almost like a funnel. Um, and it's kind of like less is coming into the funnel, the beer drinking funnel at the top. Mm. So just last question then, um, like just coming back to, if for anybody that's looking to aspire to work in a brewery or start their own even, if they're mad enough to do so, um, I mean, what, what would you say to them? Start their own brewery. Um, uh, brew pub and casks, drainage. Start there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, it's it's uh, it's something that I came into the beer industry very much from a love of it. Um, I was I'd still count myself a beer drinker first and foremost. You know, I'm a beer enthusiast in all its forms. Um, and I think if you are going to, you can't just set up a brewery because you think it's cool. You know, yeah, you have to really, really care about it mm. and you have to know what you're doing. Um, and I think do your research, get yourself some really decent education and some solid advice um, and open, open up to the beer community. There's a lot of people out there that are more than happy to share ideas, give feedback uh, and go for a pint with you. Um, I think that's the best thing about the industry for me. And if, if you're not the kind of person that wants to be involved in it in that kind of way, I think it, I would say it's probably not for you. Um, but yeah, drink more, learn more and get involved. Great stuff, Bill. Well, thanks for being on the podcast today. How, how can people find out more about Abedale if they've lived under a rock and never heard of Abedale or Moonshine? They can come to our Piss Up in a Brewery. That sounds like a good idea. Yes. That's on my birthday as well. Ah, oh, well, to come for a birthday beer, Nick. Indeed, I will. <laughs> we also uh, need to plug our online shop. Which is? Uh, if you head to our website, it's www.abbeydalebrewery.co.uk, imaginatively. Uh, and there's a direct link on there to get tickets to the event and for our online shop as well, uh, which you can also get to just with abbeydalebrewery.co.uk slash shop. Awesome. And then so, you can get your beers on there and everything. Yeah. Delivered direct to your door. Look at that. Or you free can, advertising on yeah. the podcast. Or you can come and pick it up and come say hi at the same time. There you go. So, Lots yeah. of solutions. Brilliant. Well, Laura, Dan, thank you for joining us on the Hot Ford Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Ford Podcast this week. Make sure you hit the subscribe button, follow us on social media at Hot Ford Beers, and visit our website, hotford.beer, for more articles insights and a range of services aimed at helping you get ahead in the brewing and beer business until next time cheers